0: All right, well, my name is rand if uh, if you're new uh, if you're, uh, if you're someone who's been around for the past few weeks, uh, maybe you've figured out by now that um, kind of the theme of what we've been talking about each uh, each Sunday has been the idea of of worship uh, on the topic of the, the theme of the concept of worship, um, particularly during this time of stay-at-home, social distancing, and self-isolation, etc., it's the concept of worship apart from the from uh, the context of Sunday service, uh, Sunday gathering. Uh, if we're honest, worship is something that uh, we don't always feel like doing. And uh, especially when you're not around a whole group of people that are singing together and, and interacting together, uh, it can be uh, trying on the heart. I've been uh, just trying to Stay updated with what 's going on with the whole coronavirus situation and stuff, and i 'm um, reading about uh, about just the the dramatic increase in depression and uh, uh, yeah and just people who are uh, who are struggling with uh, with the lack of interaction um, and I think that that 's something that we we ought to talk about head on uh, something that we shouldn 't pretend isn 't happening, but uh, that many of us might be experiencing as well. Um, worship is worship is something we 're called to do with our lives but if if, we're, uh, if we are uh, plainly honest about the issue we don 't always feel like it and it 's not just because of mood uh, it's it 's not just because you know we uh, we didn 't get enough sleep and so we 're too tired not not like that but because sometimes our hearts are just troubled by something else, because something has happened, something awful has taken place in our lives um, and uh, and so it 's difficult for us to Uh, to want to worship because we're we're occupied by other thoughts. Um, We don't always feel like we're in the mood to throw compliments at someone that we're very fond of, Uh, and so in the same way, we're not always in the mood uh, to shout and sing praises to God whom we love. I want to read to you Psalm 88, and uh, we're going to read... Lots of different Psalms. We're going to do a lot of reading in the Psalms. Uh, this is an exercise for me as well, since this is not a book that I, I normally preach out of as a main passage. But uh, let's look at Psalm 88, which will be the first of, of many that we'll look at and see what the, the tone is of uh, of the author here, right? Uh, it starts out saying, O Lord, L-O-R-D in capital letters. That's, uh, that's O Yahweh. That's the God of Israel, It's specific to, it's not just any Lord, not just any landowner, not just any, any business owner, it's not just any Lord, but it's Yahweh. He says, O Yahweh, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you, incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol, which is the grave, to death. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm a man who has no strength. Like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Yahweh. I spread, my, uh, spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Yahweh, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. And then that's how the psalm ends. There's, uh, there's no like, uh, I don't know, there's no happy ending. There's no nice red bow tying it up at the end. There's no resolution. That's just, that's the way it ends. Think of Psalm 137. Uh, the, this, was, uh, this was at a time when, uh, when Jerusalem, the, the capital of all the Israelites, uh, it was taken over by Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar. And... Uh, Jerusalem specifically, in that city, that's where they had the Holy Temple, right? That's where the high priest would go in. That's where the Holy Temple was. And um, that was the center of Jewish life. And uh, this psalm is written after Jerusalem's taken over, after the Jews are kicked out of their land and stuff. And here's what the the author says in verse 1. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion, which is the mountain that Jerusalem is on. On the willows, there we hung up our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, sing us one of your songs of Zion. So uh, what the author is saying here is like the, the people that captured us are laughing at us and making us sing songs about our homeland and about our God. Verse 4, how shall we sing Yahweh's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Remember, O Yahweh, against the Edomites the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Now notice this, okay? What the author is saying right here in verse 8, he's saying, daughter of Babylon, right? So if, you, if, you're, a child, if you're a Babylonian, uh, you're doomed to be destroyed. And it says, blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Verse 9, blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. And that's how the psalm ends. That that's it. There's no resolution. There's no bow at the end. There's no there's no happy ending. The psalmist ends it with Blessed is the one who takes your babies and throws them against rocks. That's a tone we're not familiar with in the Bible. Now I mean, it, it, there, there are questions on why someone could say that. And, you know, we, we can get into that. That's a, that's, a, that's a different discussion. That has to do with the covenant people of God and anyone who was an enemy of the covenant people of God was an enemy of God, et cetera. But it's, it's a whole different explanation. But the tone of this, to, uh, to write a psalm, and, uh, you know, if you're writing the Bible, if you're going to add a chapter in the Bible, is that, is that the idea that you want in there? Blessed is the one who throws babies against rocks. That is uh, undoubtedly with a murderous intent. How did this get in the Bible? Because I'd I'd rather reflect on on God's glory. I'd rather reflect on on God's God's majesty and his beauty and all that kind of stuff, his holiness. Those are the things that we like to talk about. But we, we neglect this issue of lament. Lamentation is something that we are not good at. A, a lament, or lamentation, is raw, unguarded expressions of pain, and sorrow, and frustration, and fear, and turmoil, and confusion, and desperation. Now, if you look at the Psalms, if you were to read the Book of Psalms, uh, there are lots of different ways to to kind of, I guess, group them up and categorize them and stuff. And one of the one of the ways that's very helpful to look at. Uh, it, is that the Psalms can be categorized in three basic categories, right? The first one are Psalms of orientation. And uh, that's where, where it's celebrating and it's saying like how good it is to, to belong to God. How awesome it is. His steadfast love endures forever. It's, it's, it's those kind of Psalms. Uh, it's the kinds that, that say, uh, well, we have a way to, to kind of wrap that up. We say, um, God is good all the time. It's celebratory, and it's uh, it's kind of the uh, the thing that you would say when you would uh, when you're experiencing what we sometimes call a spiritual high, right? When everything seems good, and you're so in love with the Lord, and you're passionate about your faith, and all that kind of stuff, you wanna you wanna go out, and you wanna uh, change everything about. About the world that you know that needs to be, that needs to be redeemed, and all that stuff, you wanna, you want to devote everything you 've got like during that time you 're saying God is good all the time, and the psalms of orientation resonate with you we 're very familiar with with uh, with this kind of an idea, and then there are psalms like the one that we just looked at, where there are psalms of disorientation, songs of lamentation, songs of lament, uh, and those psalms. They say that life sucks. Life is hard. Uh, life is miserable. That my heart is is sunk to the bottom of the ocean, and it's uh, it's in despair. That there's nothing. That uh, there's no joy. That nothing nothing good. I can't remember the, the the taste of food. I can't remember the the smell of flowers. It'll say stuff like that. So you have songs of orientation, which say God is good all the time. and Then you have songs of, uh, of, of disorientation, which is uh, that life is miserable. And then you have psalms of reorientation. And those are the psalms that say that God is good and life can be miserable. And yet God hasn't abandoned you, that God hasn't left you. I think we're really familiar with the psalms of orientation and the psalms of reorientation. But we're not so good at understanding the psalms of disorientation. Half of us had no idea that psalms of lament like this existed. You know, the psalms of lament that say throw babies against rocks, right? Who, who knew that that was in the Bible? And the other half that knew that that was in the Bible have no idea what to do with those psalms. Like, you, you don't take those and you don't, you don't use them on Sunday worship services, right? That's, this is not the, the psalm that we quote, and this is not the one that we sing before the sermon or after the sermon. We don't know what to do with these laments. And that's kind of what we want to talk about today. And I, I suppose not everyone's in the same situation. We're not all lamenting. We're not all in despair. And so uh, I guess that means that this sermon isn't for everyone right now. But at some point, it will be. It'll be relevant for you on the day that you need it to understand the role of lamentation in your life. Laments are for when life falls apart. And uh, life falls, you know, that's when we fall into depression, when we fall into despair. And sometimes that can be because of stuff we just do to ourselves. For instance, uh, if, if you don't eat well and if you don't exercise and if you don't sleep properly, uh you know, if your body's crashing, your mind is crashing, then, it, you know, everything's interlinked. Your your heart, soul, mind, strength, they're all kind of linked together. So if you're not taking care of those things, then your emotions tanking and crashing is something that you can expect, something that, that shouldn't surprise you. So sometimes it's just because you're not taking care of yourself, and so things are starting to fall apart and, and shut down. Uh, and that sometimes happens, but that's, that's what we do to ourselves. Let's talk about when life Bring something into you that causes you to lament, right maybe it 's because something truly terrible happened to you, whether, and whether it 's legitimate or not is is not the issue right because even if uh, someone says that 's not a legitimate thing to be depressed about uh, it, the the reality is that for the person that 's dealing with this uh, it 's difficult not to fixate upon this uh, this subject. Um, imagine you get a call from the doctor and the doctor says that uh, things aren't looking good for you or for someone that you really care about. Like in that moment, that can be very consuming where the the sense of of fear or grief or sadness can overtake you when someone passes away. What if um, a moment came where You find out your kid is doing stuff, has gotten involved in something that you wished your whole life that your kids would never get involved in. And you hear that news. Or you find out something happened to your child that should never be done to children. And you hear that news. What about when uh, you have a significant, you're, you're in love with someone and you find out the person you're in love with is no longer in love with you. In moments like these, it can be very consuming, and there's such a bitterness when uh, when someone tries to to throw advice into these moments instead of uh, instead of compassion. You know, if if uh, if you were in love with someone and that person left you and 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 replaced you, uh, and then someone comes in and says there there are plenty of other fish in the sea. Or you'll get over it. That person was never good for you. Like that, that's, that that doesn't bring comfort. That agitates a bitterness that uh, it, that stings more. Because it just says that no one really understands the pit that you're in. No one understands the darkness and the despair that you're dealing with. They think that it's such an obvious thing that you shouldn't be sad about. For some people, where they're at in life right now, God is good all the time. That's the resounding thought in their minds. It's, it's the, the, uh, the conviction that uh, moves throughout their hearts. And that is true. But for others, they know that that's true. They know that God is good all the time, but they don't feel it. God feels very far away. And they feel alone in the dark. And they feel as though God has overwhelmed them or allowed life to overwhelm them. That they feel shunned. They feel isolated. They feel like their companions have become darkness. Then for others still, they know that God is good and they know that life can be miserable. But then for these people... They might have experienced rescue, restoration, resolution, healing, or maybe just time has allowed them to get some perspective and to overcome. Reorientation in that way, when people have seen that God is good and then seen that life is miserable and then come back and seen that God has, uh, has drawn them up from where they were pulled them out from where they were and they've gotten past it. Uh, That kind of reorientation, you can't sing that by skipping the darkness. You can only sing it by going through it. That's why um, when you're going through something, some kind of severe hardship, it's very difficult to listen to people who haven't gone through something similar. Uh, If... uh, if a loved one of yours passed away and then someone comes up who's never experienced anything like that and says, it'll be fine. You know, we, we grieve like those uh, who who have hope instead of those like those who have no hope. You know, that person's in heaven. Everything's okay. You shouldn't, you shouldn't feel bad. And that kind of, that kind of counsel, when you're going through something and that person has not, you know that that counsel, whether it's true or not counsel, you know, the, whether or not the, what they're saying is true or not, It's received very differently than someone who has gone through the same thing and sits down next to you and says, it gets better. The Psalms take us through the whole spectrum of where we're at in our faith. Let me show you uh, a Psalm of orientation, Psalm 145. Uh, This is a Psalm that's written when someone's in a spiritual high, right? Psalm 145, verse 1. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is Yahweh and greatly to be praised and his greatness is is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Yahweh is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Yahweh is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Yahweh, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. Yahweh is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. Yahweh upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all who look to you and you, you... Sorry, the eyes of all look to you and you give them your food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. Yahweh is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. Yahweh is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. Now this is true. God fulfills the desires of those who fear him and really the best life is found in trusting him. This is true. And this is the stuff that we'll find in our Sunday worship songs, right? This is the stuff that, that uh, th- these are the kind of thoughts that we put into the lyrics of our, of our worship music. This is very familiar to us. And then when you're going through darkness and you hear this, you keep trying to sing this because you're like, yeah, I know I'm supposed to sing this. I know it's true, but then everything you feel in your life is incongruent to that. It 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 just doesn't fit. It doesn't match up. Here's a psalm of disorientation, a a psalm of lament in uh, Psalm 13. How long, O Yahweh, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Yahweh, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to Yahweh because he has dealt bountifully with me. Now, this is a psalm of, of, of disorientation, a psalm of lament, but these last two verses, it says, but I'm going to sing anyway, because I know God has been good to me. I'm going to sing anyway. He says, I'll praise, but the whole psalm right before that is admitting he doesn't feel like it. Right? That's not the, that's not the resounding conviction of his heart. That's not the, the, the overflow of his emotions. It's not. And there's that weird tension of like, do I sing and just like, am I faking it then? Or is it, I just don't sing if I don't feel like it. And so my feelings dictate all my decisions. That tension is real. And it it goes on in every believer at some point. Here's a Psalm of reorientation, Psalm 30. It says in verse one, I will extol you, O Yahweh, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. Now that, that tells you, by the way, that this guy is praising God because he was in darkness, he was in the pit, but God has pulled him out. God has drawn him up and God didn't let his enemies rejoice over him. Verse two. O Yahweh, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O Yahweh, you have brought up my soul from Sheol, the grave. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to Yahweh, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name, for his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Yahweh, you made my mountain stand strong, you hid your face I was dismayed. To you, O Yahweh, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Yahweh, and be merciful to me, O Yahweh, be my helper. You have, turned for me, uh, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. Oh, Yahweh, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Now, I know that's a lot, and I know that it's, it's hard to understand some of those sentences and things because we're not looking into a whole lot of context. We don't have much time to dis- discuss it, but you can get the tone that this man is rejoicing. good build memorials and monuments and remember that God is good. That ought to happen. But we also know that this guy has gone through darkness. We know that he's been in the pit. He says, like, there was weeping, but joy comes later. You know, there is weeping and then it's followed by joy. Like, that's not going to last forever. There's this, this sense of wisdom and experience in the author here. Some of us, are in darkness. And uh, those who are in darkness, not, not all of us can even bring ourselves to emotionally admit that we're struggling. And there are signs of this, you know, when, when someone's dealing with this. You can see a lack of physical energy, uh, a lack of social energy, right? Uh, you see people take comfort in food or in shopping, just buying a whole lot of stuff online, since we can't go out, Uh, drugs or alcohol, Uh, sleeping all the time, promiscuity, Uh, that uh, people take, when people are feeling depression, there's actually an increase in sexually risky behavior, because that kind of elicits this sense of adventure, newness, and and happiness, self-harm, self-mutilation, even suicide people people experience darkness and and sometimes you can see the signs of it well here we are as a church and as a church the many of us come to the lord at various angles not all of us Come with the same, same heart, same motive, same attitude, same intent, same expectations. Some of us are here to celebrate. Some of us are in the midst of lament. Some are here to celebrate because they just got past a time of lament. And now they celebrate, but they celebrate a little differently they went through darkness and and they're able to say that darkness does happen but it won't always be that way and it does get better and god is present in the darkness too so god places in scripture some raw and honest and actual human experiences right he, he puts in the bible these these moments that that are more honest about life and more honest about the Bible than oftentimes we are, right? The Bible will include stuff that's embarrassing to its own testimony. And as a side note, that's, that's, that's why I trust it. You know, if you're trying to start a religion, you don't, you don't add in passages that, uh, that make it seem awful. You know, Psalms of lament, you don't, you don't put those in. If I were trying to start a movement of, of love and forgiveness and grace, if I were to, uh, trying to convince people that that is the, you know, that is the, the virtue and the, the foundation of the people of God, I wouldn't put in passages written by the, the people of God uh, talking about dashing babies against rocks and say that that was inspired by the Holy Spirit. But the Bible isn't afraid to mention and present and discuss the true feelings, uh, the, the very honest struggles of sadness and frustration and fear and confusion, and desperation. We would rather have happy, shiny Jesus rather than lamentation. And yet the Bible says, no, you need to know what this is. Because the world's broken, there's a curse upon the earth, there's sin among every human being. And so you need to know what this is. Psalm 73 It says, truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Now, that's true. Now, verse 2. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Think about that, right? Like I... I nearly lost faith because I looked at the arrogant and I looked at the wicked and I wished I were like them. I wished I had what they had. And I wish I could just be as careless as they are. And I wish I didn't have to be as uh, as cautious and guarded and protected about my virtue. It's an amazingly honest piece of worship. Look at verse 12. Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. Right? That's his disorientation. That's his lament. Like, look at this. Look at, look at the wicked. They're all, life is easy for them, and they're always doing well. Verse 13. All in vain ha- have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence for all the day long i have been stricken and rebuked every morning can you hear his frustration right well what was the point of being pure and innocent what's that amounted to my life is hard right nice guys finish last i try to do the right thing and i get no reward for it people laugh at me and think i'm a loser right look at the wicked their lives are easy they're doing fine they're popular everyone loves them they make lots of money they They don't have to worry about a guilty conscience. They don't have to worry about someone watching over them with moral judgment that, you know, like their life is easy. The the frustration that this author has is not just why do bad things happen to good people? He adds to it, why do good things happen to bad people? Have you ever felt that? have Have you ever wrestled with the same kind of issues that this guy's wrestling with? Think about... Think about the high school or college student, right? Just anyone, teenage and up. Right? Do you think a teenager or anyone older than a teenager doesn't wonder whether or not purity is in vain? Right? Is there virtue to being a virgin? Is there any virtue to that? Because the whole world makes fun of you for that. And then the whole world says, then you don't, you don't know what life truly is. And it celebrates its promiscuity and then laughs at you Do you think the high school student or the college student sits there wondering, is this virtue of purity even worth it? Verse 16, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to to me a wearisome task until I went to the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Now, this is the reorientation that's taking place, right? It's where he considers his present frustration, and he always finds the answer in how things will end up. And you have to remember that. We all have to remember that. The answer is in the eschatology. The answer is in the end, not in the now, right? God isn't making this life the place of blessing and reward. That's not where his, his final answer is. That's not where he's, he's responding to, uh, to the, the curse of the earth. That's not where he's responding to the need for, for final justice, right? To say that, that God is going to bring your blessing and reward here in this life, and that's, that's where the, uh, the prize is, that's the prosperity gospel. That's the problem with the prosperity gospel. It says that he's going to reward you with things that are broken and flawed and can be used for, for Ill, Ill purposes, if, if, if that were the case, if God were just going to reward the righteous in this life with success and with fame and fortune, then we would just live by sight. We would see that the best Christians would have the best lives, free of suffering, full of success, and we'd say, yeah, I want to be like that. And so everyone who's successful would be Christian, and everyone who is uh, who's struggling would be not a Christian. But God doesn't call us to live by sight like that. He calls us to live by faith. He promised that it's, it's in the life after this one. That's where the equity is reckoned. I guess the question comes down to whether or not you trust him. Verse 18, in speaking about the wicked, the psalmist says, Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment and swept away utterly by terrors. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You can only say this last part if you know where the true end is and where the true prize, where the true reward really is. And it takes on a whole new significance only after you have gone through the darkness. Because then you know whether or not you were waiting for God to reward you now or to reward you in the end. It's when you go through the darkness that your faith is tested and revealed. Oftentimes, Christians can end up thinking that it's uh, sinful and faithless to be depressed or to be this honest with God. To say, you know, I'm I'm abandoned. I feel so alone. My companions have have turned to darkness. You know, my my beloved and my, my friends have shunned me you know, God has overwhelmed me. We think that, that those, are, those are words you're not allowed to say if you're a Christian. If you do, you're, you're immature. That's, that's kind of the angle we take. Like you don't really understand. But read the book called Lamentations. Read the book Habakkuk. Read Hosea. Right? These were written by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. God wrote those books. If you want a godly understanding of the world, you have to keep fully in mind three ideas that God is absolutely good, and that evil is absolutely evil, and that God is absolutely committed to bringing about good despite the evil. You have to have all three of those in mind that God is good, evil is evil. And God is going to bring about good even though there's evil. That good is in the end, not in the now. Think about this. The the, the happy ending called heaven does not mean that there are no tragedies on earth. The fact that everything's going to end up with a happy ending does not mean that there's nothing to be sad about. It is true that the ending informs us to keep us steady and not to, not to fall into this place where we think that we've lost everything. But what's sad is sad. What's evil is evil. What's tragic is tragic. In John chapter 11, there's a, a verse that, that I had to meditate on for a long, long time. A pastor made me uh, read this verse. It's the shortest verse in, uh, in the English translation of the Bible. Um, and it's in uh, John 11, and it's verse 35. It just says Jesus wept. Jesus wept, and he he's, he made me look at that verse, and then he let me look at the the whole chapter and th- throughout the book and stuff. But he said, I want you to make 40 observations about that verse. And so I I, I sat down and I said, okay, why did Jesus weep? Why did he? okay? Because Jesus is a human being; he has emotions. Because Jesus can be sad. You know, uh, Jesus cares about what other people go through and what other people are feeling. So I had to write all these these observations down because what was going on in this chapter is uh, Jesus's friend Lazarus. Lazarus he he passed away, and uh, and his two sisters Martha and Mary uh, they they sent a message to Jesus from where he was at, and you know told him Lazarus died, and so Jesus he's like, okay, well well. Or he's sick and he knows he's going to die. So he, he goes over to uh, you know to their hometown, and Lazarus is dead. And uh, he looks around and he oh, he has a plan in mind. He he waited on purpose for Lazarus to die. He, when he didn't go to him when Lazarus was sick and then heal him like he was healing everybody else in in the Gospels. You know, uh, he waited until Lazarus died. Then he showed up because his plan was he was going to bring. Lazarus back to life so that he could demonstrate to everyone that he has power over death, the power to give life, that he is the resurrection and the life. He was going to go and, and, and uh, show everyone that. So he already knew Lazarus would die and that he would bring him back to life. This he knew. And yet in the middle of that, Lazarus died, and before Jesus brought him back to life, There he is. Someone comes up and says, look, Lazarus is dead. And Jesus looks at everyone and he sees Lazarus' tomb and he weeps. It says Jesus wept. Why? If he was going to fix everything, what's he sad about? And yet it gives us an insight into God's heart. God already knows the end from the beginning. He determines the end from the beginning. Since before the creation of the world, He's he's, he's seen how this is going to play out. But that doesn't rob it of, of its meaning and significance and its emotional weight. God grieves, God mourns, and God rejoices, God celebrates. And he installed those capacities in us because we're made in his image. Jesus wept because it was sad that Lazarus died. He didn't just go, well, Lazarus is is in heaven. Or he didn't just go, I'm just going to bring him back to life. He wept because it was sad. Look at his sister's. Look at all the family members and all the friends, all the people in the village, all coming out grieving. They didn't know what Jesus' plan was. And there's Jesus. He's not thinking, well, I'm going to show them. They're going to love this next trick. He saw them and he saw that what's sad is sad. What's tragic is tragic. Jesus wept because it was right to weep in that moment. God is good, evil is bad. We lament when there's something evil or something bad. It doesn't mean that God is not good. It doesn't mean that God won't rescue. But it means that what we're going through in this moment is something to weep over. Lament is different than complaining. Complaining, we complain at God. Lamenting, we lament to God. It's, uh, it's different in the intent. It's more to express ourselves and to seek help rather than to just throw blame and to hurt back. Laments, if you see how the Bible presents them, Laments our worship in the darkness. I don't think we're comfortable with this. Someone grieves, what do we do? We send them a card, and we write in it. I'm praying for you. And that's it. That's done. I don't think we know how to deal with the, the lamentations of the people of God. It's a rare skill, a rare gift. If we're going to pray in the midst of the darkness, or if we're going to pray for someone in the midst of darkness, something to keep in mind is that prayer is not a time to act like everything is good. Prayer is not a time to act like nothing damages your joy. The Psalms teach us that. Prayer is when you should get the most honest with God, the most honest with yourself, and simply say, Lord, I am sad. That kind of honesty is not a lack of faith. It's an expression of it. It's where you present yourself in raw, honest, actual sincerity to say that this is what you're feeling. And by doing so, you'll wait on God to respond to it, to help you through it. You don't even know what to ask him to do. You just say, God, this is what it feels like. This is what it feels like. And it it just tells us that we have to communicate to the Lord where we're at. And then leave it in his hands and let him do what he does. As a church, we have to be a community where it's okay to fall apart. It's okay to express how you're hurting, how you're, confessed, uh, how you're confused and desperate. It would be arrogant to think we just have some magic cure some final answer to just make the feelings go away. Only God can take mourning and turn it into dancing. Only God can take ashes and trade it for beauty. Only God can do that. What we do is to do what Jesus has done for us, right? We don't have a high priest who was, uh, who was unable to sympathize with us, but he, He was tempted in every way. He went through every kind of trial. He went through every kind of emotional trial. And he empathizes with us. He sympathizes with us. That's why God has compassion. That's what we need to exercise. For those of you who uh, have known me for some time, you know that uh, both of my daughters passed away at different times. Uh, In in both of those seasons of life, that was the darkest hour for me. And there were people, some people who came with a lot of advice, a lot of good advice. And advice is one thing, and I, I appreciate the intent to help. But I admit it was difficult to listen to advice. There were also some people who came in none of none of you at at uh, Savior by the way, but uh, there were people in my life who rebuked me for feeling sad. I got emails that said like uh, if you 're feeling sad, you shouldn 't because your children are in heaven, and that 's better than being on earth, and so if you if you 're sad that they 're gone, like I have my values misplaced. I'm sure the person meant well, persons, but you know what was the most helpful was really just the, the few people that kicked in the door at my house, walked into my living room, sat down, and didn't really say much, but just, just sat with me. I don't know why that mattered so much but it allowed me to lament. It allowed some time for my heart to breathe. See, we're in this, uh, in this place right now with the church where we can't even meet together and we don't, we don't have the personal connection of being in front of one another, holding someone's hand and saying, I'm with you. We don't have that. and The distance we feel from one another can be jarring. And for those who are already going through something hard, it's even harder now. And I think what I want to say to you is that God has told us in His Word that it is okay to lament. It is okay to express your sorrow and your sadness, your frustration, your fear, your confusion, your desperation to the Lord. That's not a lack of faith. If there's anyone you should tell it to, it's Him. And then His people. And we as the people of God, maybe we should do what God does, which isn't always to throw advice. Sometimes it's just to sit and weep with someone. Because God is good all the time. And evil is evil. And you can lament honestly, because if you don't, you'll never know that God was with you during the darkness. If you don't express the darkness that you were in, you can never say that God was with you in it. God is good all the time. Evil is evil. But this is not the end of the story. And the reward and the prize is not now. We look to our, our model, which is Jesus, and he, he knew this the best. We look at the, the apostles, and, and they understood it. They knew how to lament. They knew how to cry out. They knew how to say that, that their soul was, was hurting. And then they knew how to, how to remain faithful. Still praise God, even though they didn't feel like it. It didn't mean that they would sing with smiles on their faces. They wouldn't fake anything, but they would cry out. They would worship in the darkness by saying, God, this is where I'm at. This is how I feel. And in the end, as God is absolutely good and evil is absolutely evil, God will absolutely bring good despite the fact that there is evil. Let's pray. God, I say a prayer for uh, specifically for those who are in the midst of lamentation, because maybe something has happened to them, and so there's wound, wounding from the past, or maybe they're fixated on something about the future, and so there's fear and anxiety. God, I don't, I don't wish that they would be fake. I hope, God, that they don't try to smother those feelings and pretend they don't exist. But God, you call us to an honesty, a raw honesty, a true and actual honesty in front of you, a sincerity that says, this is where I'm at, this is what I'm going through. And this is how I'm trying to cope with it. This is what I'm doing to try to make myself feel better. God, we pray for that kind of authentic, genuine confession before you. And we pray that we would express to you exactly what's going on in our hearts. Unguarded, raw, honest. Because you're God and you see it anyway. And we need to express it. We are people who need to say what's happening on the inside. And so we pray, God, that we would have the, just the humility and the resolve to do that, to speak to you about it and to speak to your people about it. And as your people, Lord, when we hear someone lamenting, keep us humble not to think we have answers by just saying words, but engage our hearts to meet their hearts because that's where, that's where the malady is and so that's where the remedy needs to meet. If it means just kicking in the door and sitting down and, and weeping with someone, help us do it. Jesus wept. So should we. In a time with uh, the global pandemic, there are, there are plenty of people sick. Many who are passing away. There's financial crisis, jobs lost. There's a, a lack of interaction. There's a, a sense of distance. Weakened friendships. Missing bodies. And it's easy for us, Lord, to feel then that we're sinking, that we're shunned and overwhelmed, that we're alone. God, we express our sorrow and our sadness, our frustration, our confusion, our fear, and our desperation before you because you're God and you love us. And you'll do something with it. We don't even know what to ask. But you'll do something. Help us understand how to lament. How to lament from ourselves or how to lament with someone who is lamenting. And to do it because Jesus did it. And remind us again that what Jesus has done is made secure that this is not the end of the story. And that it does get better. The real prize, even if we have resolution and and recovery in the now, the real prize, the real end is later when the, the curse is brought to an end and the earth is redeemed and all is set right for eternity. We place our hope in you. We place our hope in that. We place our hope in life with you face to face. Bless your people, God, for your glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen.